Well, good evening. My name is Joe, and I'm a church planting resident here at Grace Church, and I have the joy, privilege of bringing the word tonight from Romans. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Steve, in one of his first sermons on the book of Romans, told us to put on our thinking caps. So I was thinking to make a cap that said, think on it, but I'm not handy enough to do that. But Steve called us to put on our thinking caps because the book of Romans isn't always a very easy book to understand. Paul uses a lot of big words, uses these very long, complex arguments throughout, and it's not always easy to grasp what he's saying. So I don't know what you thought as you saw that text up on and read it, but it's a difficult text. Now, interestingly enough, the Apostle Peter agrees that Paul isn't always easy to understand. He actually writes this. He says, Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. So there's the Apostle Peter, the rock upon whom the church is built, and he says Paul writes some things that are hard to understand. So I'll be honest, when I looked at this passage before us today, although it's short, only five verses, I had a lot of questions and not many answers. But as I took time to study and think and pray, I felt the Lord met me and gave me greater understanding. And there's actually a promise, a promise for God, from God, about this very thing. Paul, the one who writes these hard letters, said to Timothy, his disciple, in 2 Timothy, he gave this command that has a promise with it. He says, think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So this is a promise that we can hold on to as we make our way through the book of Romans together, what will be probably over a course of many months. Paul's letter to the Romans is one of the greatest, most profound, I would say, history-shaping, history-changing books that was ever written by anyone. Some of the greatest thinkers in this world and history have labored over what it says, what it means, what its significance is. But what's amazing is the Apostle Paul didn't write this for scholars in a university. He didn't write this for theologians hidden away in some monastery somewhere. He wrote it for simple, everyday believers, many of whom may have been, couldn't read, in Rome. He wrote it for people like you and me. And so we need to hold on to this promise that God will give us, no matter what our education level is, we're trusting in Jesus, he will give us understanding as we think over what Paul has written. So with this promise in mind, let's look at Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. I really want to encourage you to have the Bible out, be looking at these verses, and try to follow them closely and see if uh, you understand things differently, and we can have a conversation. But here, briefly, in summary form, here's where I'm going with today's message and how I understand things. So first, verse 12, we're going to look at how God's judgment is overall. Then in verse 13, how God's judgment of the Jews is fair. 
Then in verses 14 and 15, how God's judgment of Gentiles is fair. And then we're going to close out looking at what I see as sort of a light breaking in of gospel hope in verse 16. So gospel hope in the face of God's fair judgment. So look with me at Romans chapter 2, verse 12. So in this verse, Paul presents us with two different groups of people. The first half of the verse, he writes of those who sinned without the law. And he says, these people will also perish without the law. This is the first group. Then he goes on to speak of those who sinned under the law. And he says, these ones will be judged by the law. This is the second group. So Paul here, many of you know and understand, he's making a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. These are the two different groups of people. So Jews are those who are physically descended from Abraham and Sarah, the people who were rescued by God and brought out of Egypt and slavery. God made a covenant with them. He gave the Mosaic law to them. They are the nation of Israel. They became the nation of Israel. And then there are Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who are neither part of God's covenant nation, Israel, nor did they, they weren't recipients of the Mosaic law. So now many of you who've read the book of Romans know that this distinction between Jews and Gentiles is common, and it's an important theme all throughout the letter to the Romans. We're going to keep coming back to it again and again. And already... In the couple of the, in the sermons that we've had, we've already seen this. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes that God's power is displayed in the gospel. It's God's power unto salvation for the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we read of God's righteous judgment that is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So both in God's judgment and both and in God's salvation, it's to the Jew first and then to the Greek or the Gentile. Those are synonymous. Don't need to get confused by that. Now, before diving into what distinguishes these two groups in verse 12, let's look at what's similar about them. So notice this. Notice in verse 12 that both groups have sinned. So this is the truth that's at the heart of Paul's argument, all the way from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. That's a whole section as I read it and see it. So in Romans 1.18, Paul says that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then he proceeds in the verses that follow to talk about the sins of the Gentiles. They are idolaters. They worship many gods, and they reject the true and living God. And also, they live deeply immoral lives, sinful lives. They're sexually impure, they're haters, they're murderers, so on and so forth. There's that whole list right at the end of the chapter. So having discussed the Gentiles, Paul, in the beginning of chapter 2, suddenly makes a turn to the Jews. 
And he says something quite surprising. He says that the Jews, God's people, his holy nation, his kingdom of priests, they're no better than the Gentiles. For while the Jews judge the Gentiles as wicked, pagan, idolaters, they're no better because they do the very same things. And in judging the Gentiles, they bring condemnation on themselves. They're hypocrites. So from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way up to Romans chapter 2, where we're reading today, Paul's been building his case that both Jews and Gentiles are sinners. And therefore, before God's judgment seat, under his holy law, both groups are condemned as sinners. And this is what Paul summarizes again for us in verse 12. Gentiles... Even though they don't have the law, they will perish. They will be judged without the law. And Jews, even though they have the Mosaic law, they also will be judged because according to the standard of the law. So this raises the important question that I want us to think about, wrestle with this evening. And that is this. How is God's judgment of sinners both Jews and Gentiles fare. Now this is an especially important question as it relates to Gentiles. How can God condemn and punish those Gentiles who don't know him and seemingly don't know his law? How can we say that God's righteous, that he's just in this judgment? It's a big question. Now before... Answering this question as it relates to the Gentiles, let's look at verse 13. Move your eyes down there. So in this verse, verse 13, Paul reminds us first that God's condemnation of the Jews is fair, right? To the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. So how is God's judgment of the Jews fair? Well, it's fair because he judges human beings according to their works. In other words, God is not impressed with those who talk the talk, but don't walk the talk. God condemns, as sinners, those who know all the right answers, get straight A's and all the quizzes on the Bible and what it says, but their lives are completely lived against what it says. God is justified in condemning them. So as Paul says in verse 13, he says that being a hearer of the law is not enough. Why? Well, it says right away, because it's the doers of the law who will be justified, not merely the hearers. So Paul, speaking of those Jews in his own day, who thought that because they merely were part of the Jewish nation and they heard the law regularly, perhaps read it regularly, that they had sort of a shield to protect them from God's judgment. And Paul is arguing that their presumption is a false hope. Why? Because it's the doers of the law who will be justified and not the hearers of the law. So if you are a spiritually sensitive follower of Jesus, I know that when you read this verse, I hope you notice that there's a warning to us as well. We as Christians, as the followers of Jesus, 
we're not obligated to keep the law of Moses. We can eat what we want, when we want, drink what we want, when we want to, live mostly however we please. But, nevertheless, much like the Jews, we may be tempted towards this pride, this presuming upon God's grace. That is, assuming that God is pleased with us, that he approves of us while we willfully live in sin and rebellion against him. So what I mean, let's drive this home a little bit. Well, some of us might deceive ourselves into thinking that simply knowing some facts about Jesus, some truths about Jesus, is enough to escape God's judgment. That is, a basic knowledge of the gospel will, is an excuse to go on living in drunkenness, to go on living in sexual morality. Now, just to be clear, I'm not speaking of sins that we all commit and we all struggle with that we are sorry for, that we repent and ask for forgiveness for, but sins that we justify, sins that we think we can get away with this and we don't have to feel sorry, we don't have to strive to fight against it because, well, we know that Jesus died for us. That's enough. There we have to be careful. Some of us, may be deceived by believing that if we just have enough time with God each day, reading a little bit of his word, praying, going to church, that this will make God happy with us. And that's enough to make up for living a life of constant grumbling, constant complaining, outbursts of anger, and again, never feeling sorry for it. It's the thinking that that little bit of work you do for God will make up for a life of grumbling, a life of complaining. Now lastly, some of us may be fooled into thinking that certainly God's pleased with me. He's going to show me favor because of the family that I'm from, because of the culture that I was raised in, or the tradition that I belong to. I identify with it, and I know, therefore, that God's on my side. Now, all of these things are good. They can be good things, but they're no shield from God's wrath. They're, no, they're not an excuse that we can make to go on living in sin and not have any fear of God's judgment. So in summary, we can't use our knowledge of what is right or our hearing of it to excuse a life of willful, unrepentant sin. I encourage you, encourage us tonight, look inward. Look inward because as the prophet Jeremiah says, the heart of man, of women, is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. That's what it says in Jeremiah. So ask yourselves questions like this. Am I confessing my sins to God regularly, trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins? Not, I did that once 20 years ago, and that's enough. It is enough, but we must continue living in faith, repentance, asking God for forgiveness. Ask yourself, are there ways in which you're playing games with God, thinking that if I just do this, it will excuse my sin in this area, whatever it may be. Don't deceive yourselves. God's judgment 
is fair. He doesn't have any favorites. He doesn't turn a blind eye to some and let them get away with things and then judge others. His judgment is fair for all. So, in view of verse 13, we can say that God's judgment of Jews is fair because they will be judged not because they're Jews or because they heard the law, but according to their doing of the law. They won't be justified because they went to the synagogue, because they heard the law read, and they identify with the Jewish people. No, they will still be held account for the works that they have done according to the law. In this way, God is fair in judging the Jews. So moving on, verses 14 and 15. So here, Paul returns to the discussion of those who sinned without the law, that is, Gentiles. And here, in these verses, Paul's explaining why it is that Gentiles, who maybe have never heard the Mosaic Law, never had it in their hands to read, they also will perish under God's judgment. That is, why God's judgment is fair of them. So this is a really important question to ask and to consider. I said it earlier. How can a just and righteous God punish those who don't have his law? How can he condemn them, as it says in chapter 2, to wrath and fury if they've never heard of his commands like, you shall not make a carved image and bow down to it, or you shall not commit adultery. Those are commands from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. Now before jumping into the answer that Paul gives us, I want to take a real short detour here. And I want to draw out an important point, and that is this. True Christian faith, that is mature faith that is grounded in the gospel of Christ, allows space for asking hard questions. If you read the scriptures closely, read especially Paul's letters to the early churches, these first believers, you will see that they were constantly asking questions. And the apostles entered into dialogue with them. They were going back and forth about who Jesus is and what this means for their life. There was a conversation. There was a dialogue going on. And I say this because some of you probably come from religious backgrounds that never allowed any space for hard questions. Some of you may come from Christian families or a church background, but there was no room for discussion on any of these hard questions about God, salvation, judgment. So if this is your religious experience, I want to humbly say that I don't believe this is God's way. True faith in Christ will only grow, will only mature if we're allowed to wrestle with these hard things that Paul writes. And we need to ask questions. Now, this is especially true for younger people among us, and especially those who've grown up in Christian homes. And my hope is that you all will find Grace Church and the leaders here and home group leaders and everyone a safe place to wrestle with these hard things that Paul has written. And I know for the younger people, I know that 
Pastor Josh is ready, ready to dig into the scriptures, see what the word says about things like heaven, hell, God's wrath, and yet his love, his mercy, and his salvation. So back to verses 14 and 15. And back to this important question. How is God's judgment of the Gentiles fair? So I'll just jump right at it. Paul's answer is actually quite surprising. And his answer is that the Gentiles actually have God's law. They aren't without the law. How is that? Well, it's written on their hearts. Look at verse 15. So while the Gentiles don't have this Mosaic law that was written on stone, and put in the Ark of the Covenant, they don't have the scriptures translated for them into Greek or whatever language, they still have the law within them. And therefore, as it says in verse 14, they are a law to themselves. Now, this is a very interesting, somewhat difficult argument to grasp. So let's break it down step by step and try to explain it clearly, try to stay with me. But here we go. So first, in the beginning of verse 14, Paul says that Gentiles, at times, do by nature what the law requires. So Paul here is referring to what is sometimes called natural law. Some of you with a legal background or have studied some philosophy, maybe you've heard of this. So the idea of natural law is actually a concept that comes from the ancient Greeks. But I see that Paul believes it fits with the truth of Scripture. And so he's drawing upon it here. So what is natural law? Well, some, one way to answer this is to, see, is to look and notice that throughout history and across cultures, by and large, everyone agrees that certain things are evil, are wrong, and they should be, in certain cases, punished. Things like murder, theft, adultery. Almost everywhere you go, they're condemned and they're punished. So Paul, likely drawing from his awareness of Ancient Greek philosophy, he was actually born in an area that was Greek-speaking. He sees as well that there's enough agreement among all these Gentiles, these non-Jews, with the basic moral principles that are also in the Mosaic Law, in the Ten Commandments, that he sees that God's eternal law is within them. That is, they agree. They agree with the basic moral principles of the law, particularly the Ten Commandments, and despite maybe never hearing of the Ten Commandments, they actually agree with it. So it's in this way, verse 14, that the Gentiles are a law to themselves. Now, important point. This doesn't mean that all cultures and all peoples perfectly know or keep God's eternal law by nature. Right? Remember, verse 12, Paul has already stated the Gentiles have sinned. All have sinned. And he's going to make this point again and again as we move on in Romans. However, the law of God is clear enough to the peoples and nations of the earth that they regulate themselves. They order their societies 
according to the basic commandments found in the Mosaic Law, in the Ten Commandments. And this is the basis of law, the basis of justice everywhere in the world, even if they've never had a Christian or Jewish background. And why is this? Why is it written within us? Well, the answer is pretty simple. According to the scriptures, we are made in the image and likeness of God. And so it's not surprising that we understand, in some ways, what God expects. So now, moving on to verse 15. Paul, not Paul, Paul goes on to explain his thinking regarding natural law. Look what he says. He says in verse 15 that the Gentiles show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. How? Well, because their conscience is constantly condemning or excusing them. And then, in verse 14, so, sorry, in verse 14, Paul is speaking of whole Gentile nations and peoples, as I see it. And in verse 15, he zeroes in on the individual and on the conscience. So each and every one of us, because we're made in the image of a personal God, a just God, a moral God, we have an internal courtroom running within us, nonstop, 24 hours a day, every day of our lives. What do I mean? It's like we have a sort of reality TV show-like courtroom going on in our heads, and it's broadcast within us. And here's the interesting thing. This, in this show, we are, at one and the same time, the accused wrongdoer, the judge, the lawyer, the defense, and the ones who decide the verdict. This is what's going on in us, all of us, all the time, if we're sensitive to it. So the point is this. All of us are constantly judging ourselves, whether what we said or what we did was right or wrong, whether it's right or wrong to say or do this. We can't escape this reality. It's true whether you're a religious person or not a religious person, a Christian or a non-Christian. You have this going on inside of you all the time, and you can't escape it. So the question is, how does this connect with Paul's argument? It's an argument that God is just in condemning the Gentiles. Well, to help us answer this, take a deep breath. We're going to look at a little bit at what Paul has already said in Romans up to this point. So look with me at Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 21. And think here about how the Gentiles know God's law. Let me read it. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, talking about the Gentiles, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So Paul says here that the truth of God's eternal power, his divine nature, his infinite worth is so clear, 
so evident just in what he's made that all of us are without excuse. Our conscience itself tells us we are without excuse. We must worship and serve him alone. Now it's interesting, this is exactly the first commandment in the Ten Commandments. Perhaps you know it. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. So despite knowing that God is God, he alone is worthy of all worship, we willfully turn our backs on him, and we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, as Paul says. So it's in this way the law is written on our hearts. But that's not it. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Really important verse here. It says this, Though they, the Gentiles, know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So Paul is saying here that the Gentiles not only know that God, the creator of all things, is worthy of all worship, they actually know his basic moral commands. They, by nature, know certain things are wrong, and yet do them and encourage others to do them. So what are these things? Well, let's compare Romans chapter 1, verse 29 and 30 with the Ten Commandments, and it'll be up on the screen. And here we can see how the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments, directly connects with what's going on in our hearts, what our own consciences tell us. So first one, look at Exodus 20, 12. It says, honor your father and mother. There's God's command. Paul says, Romans 1, Gentiles know this, and yet they're disobedient to their parents. Exodus 20, 13. God says, you shall not murder. Paul in Romans says that the Gentiles are filled with all manner of evil, murder, strife. They're heartless. They're ruthless. Again, they know God's law. Exodus 20, 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Paul says in Romans, the Gentiles, though they know it's wrong, are filled with all manner of deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. They are slanders. And another one, Exodus 20, 17, the last of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. Paul says the Gentiles are filled with all manner of covetousness. They are faithful. They are faithless. So there it is. Paul is saying the Gentiles know God's law. And yet they willingly break it. And so God is just in condemning them for their sin, even though they maybe have never read or heard of the Mosaic Law. They have approved of breaking it, encouraged others to do it, and they've broken it themselves. And their conscience, our conscience, bears witness to us. So that's a lot of heavy, heavy stuff. So let's look at verse 16 and look for what I see here is gospel hope. That is God's salvation, the hope of salvation. So look at verse 16, a little more bad news first. Once again, God reminds us, Paul reminds us of God's coming judgment. He says there's a day on which God's going to judge the secrets of our hearts. 
Don't miss that. That's an amazing phrase. God judges the secrets of our hearts. So this, on one hand, is a scary reality. It's scarier than the outbreak of war, of disease, sudden loss of health or a loved one. God's judgment of us is deeply personal, deeply intimate, individual, right? It goes, he goes right into our consciences, right into our very thoughts, and he knows how we're accusing ourselves and excusing ourselves. And there he brings his judgment. And what matters, not what we think of ourselves and how we can justify ourselves, but God and what he thinks is what matters. But again, there is good news. Verse 16, it says that God's judgment will be according to the gospel. It will be through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, from Romans chapter 3 to chapter 8, is going to explain this glorious gospel of God's grace. We're going to see how grace triumphs over sin and over judgment. But chapters 1 and 2, where we're in right now, is the bad news. The bad news is this, right? Whether we're Jew or Gentile, religious or not religious, a believer or an unbeliever, we are all sinners before a holy God. We're all condemned by his law. And our own consciences bear witness against us. So this is a harsh reality that we are faced with, that according to God's law, we don't measure up. But, but, the final judgment is ultimately according to the gospel. God's judgment ultimately is through Jesus. And why is that good news? Well, it's good news because when Jesus died on the cross, he was condemned as a sinner. He was judged for breaking God's law, not because he broke it, but because we did. And our sins came upon him. He was sinless, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring us to God. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. When Jesus bled and died on the cross, he took away the curse of the law from us. He did it that we might no longer be judged according to the sinful deeds and works that we have done, but that we might be judged according to faith. Right? That we might be judged according to whether we've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Trusted in Jesus for his blood to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what matters in the end is not how much we've cleaned our conscience, not how much we think we can justify ourselves before God for the good that we've done, but what matters is whether or not we're resting and trusting in Jesus. So church, bringing this to a close, my encouragement, my exhortation this evening is to look both inward and outward. First, look inward. Consider areas in your life where you might be playing games 
with God. And thinking you can justify some sin without repentance because of doing this or doing that. Don't play games with God. Examine, with the Spirit's help, ways in which you might be making excuses before God. But here, and it's very important, don't stay inward. Turn outward. Look to Christ. Look to his cross. The good news of the gospel is that you must stop trying to justify yourself. You must stop trying to clean your own conscience. Christ and his sacrifice for you, for your sins, is sufficient. Trust in Jesus. Trust in his redemption that he secured for you. Rest in him by faith. This is the path to true righteousness, true peace, and everlasting joy. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, as Paul says, let God be true and every man a liar. Lord, we worship you. We bow before you. We say that you and you alone are God. And you are justified in all that you say and all that you do. Father, we thank you. We thank you this evening that there is a refuge. There is a ransom for us. And it's Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved us and that you gave yourself for us at the cross. That we might not perish, but have everlasting life with the Father. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We pray, help us to go from here clinging to Jesus, resting in Jesus, for he is humble, lowly of heart. We love you, Lord. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.